Hey there, welcome to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast, a space to talk about all things life, fertility, parenthood, and everything in between. My name is Elizabeth. I am an international fertility coach, ICF certified life coach, birth and bereavement doula, and new parent educator. Join us as we support the tribe throughout their journey from conception to bringing your new baby home and everything along the way. See you in the episode. Welcome back to the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Today we have Dr. Shannon Clark, who is babies after 35, and she is an OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine doctor. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Can you let people know what an MFM doctor actually is for those that aren't aware of that? Sure. So after a four-year OBGYN residency, there are several what's called subspecialties that a person can do if they have chosen not to become a general OBGYN. Um, One of them is called maternal fetal medicine. So that just means um, I did three years of training beyond my four-year residency to subspecialize uh, in high-risk pregnancies. So that means all of my patients are pregnant and they either have maternal, uh, a maternal and or fetal complication in their pregnancy or sometimes more than one uh, that warrants high-risk care. So I am a professor of maternal fetal medicine at a large academic center where I am a clinician, meaning t- I take care of patients, uh, educator, educate residents, uh, fellows, medical students, and a researcher. And I do a little research on the side too. And a mom. And master at TikTok and, <laughs> and all the things, like literally yeah, all the things. I seriously see all your stuff online. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, like no offense to you, but you make me feel really bad about myself because how <laughs> no. you do all this stuff? And I'm like struggling. So you no, know, I, I think physicians from the very beginning, we learn how to multitask because we have to do it for so long and just getting through the training that it's kind of born into us a little bit, if you will. So yeah. Still though, don't discredit yourself <laughs> a lot. You are a rock star. So thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people again, who just are now learning what that is, and I had, I, we have similar stories, meaning mm-hmm. I got married at 39 as well and started mm-hmm. to conceive at 40 also. So for those that are kind of in that state, do they automatically think that they're going to have to go to an M- MFM doctor or is that mm-hmm. up to their OB to pass yeah. them off? So the way it can work is so if someone's conceiving or pre- say pregnant after age 35 and especially after age 40, they're generally going to be seeing a general OBGYN. The general OBGYN can do one of a few things. They, they may be perfectly feel perfectly capable and confident in managing an advanced maternal age pregnancy with or without other medical complications that may be associated with that pregnancy. Um, and then just refer the patient to maternal fetal medicine for a detailed anatomy or, uh, you know, a, the ultrasound that we typically do at 18 to 22 weeks or any genetics counseling or anything else that goes along with the, the genetic component of having a high risk of pregnancy. Um, or they can co- ask to co-manage, meaning they're the primary care um, during the pregnancy, but they might have a maternal fetal medicine as a consultant, say if the patient uh, has a fetal anomaly or abnormality, or they're diabetic, or they're chronic hypertensive, or they had a complicated pregnancy history in the past, they may ask for a maternal fetal medicine specialist as a consultant just to co-manage the pregnancy, or now they may just- the OB asking or the patient? Oh, yes, the OB asking. Okay. The general OBGYN, or the third option would be 
um, that they might feel for whatever reason, the pregnancy is just too complicated or the patient's just too complicated for what they're comfortable taking care of. And they may refer the patient to an MFM like myself for care um, throughout the pregnancy. And they just uh, uh, hand over care to the MFM. So those are kind of the three ways it can be handled. Okay. And so... Mm -hmm. From my experience, I loved my MFM because mm -hmm. I saw them all the time, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I felt like they knew my body, my baby, the best. Mm -hmm. but he would not deliver my baby. That's not mm -hmm. what he did. So mm -hmm. is there differences? Do some do deliveries and some don't? Because you definitely get a relationship with them because yeah. you are seeing them so frequently, right? Yeah, I think the it's more common that the general OBGYN ends up delivering. Um, there's also situations where uh, even in a co-managed situation, they may decide that when it comes to delivery, the MFM is going to deliver them. Or there are some institutions or private practice MFM groups where they do a certain number of their own deliveries because they have their own private patients. Or myself, um, I'm in a little bit of a different situation because I am in academic medicine and our labor and delivery is staffed 24 seven by MFMs, which is very atypical pretty much across the nation. I do not have my own patient load. I mean, I don't have my own patients in clinic. Um, we have a bunch of referral clinics that kind of funnel down the high risk to us and we're there for deliveries. We're there for, they come into OB triage for a complication if they're admitted for a complication. Um, but that's just how our system's set up. So I, I'm a little atypical on that, that okay. A, I cover labor and delivery 24 seven, um, or my group does and B, um, I don't have my own private patients. Okay. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. So what do you see the most, I guess, with a, over 35? Is there something that's like a common thread or is it pretty all over the place? Yeah. Probably not a fair question to ask me because I see a lot of pathology just based on the way our system is set up and the fact that we do have to cover labor delivery 24 seven. So I see it all. I mean, I preeclampsia, seizure disorder, incompetent cervix, placenta accretus or morbidly, morbidly adherent placenta, fetal anomalies, um, you know, patients that need intensive care, uh, you know, ICU type care. So uh, we kind of have everything. Okay. So again, yeah. not only is she doing mm -hmm. all these other things, but everything that she just mentioned mm -hmm. is super heavy and intense. Yeah. So yeah. How do you deal with that sort of stuff and then go home to your littles and be like, oh, I'm mommy now. And so I'll, I'll talk about it pre babies and then post babies. So pre babies, you know, I was like yourself, I didn't become a mom until I was almost 43. But um, I do consider myself a very empathetic uh, person and physician. I really have a good rapport with my patients, even if it's the first time I've met them, which most of the time it is. I just, I, I have that um, talent, if you will, but I've also worked at it over the years because I wanted to be that type of physician. And it does take work to get a good bedside manner. Um, but even then, you know, I had never been in a situation that any of my patients had been in because I'd never, you know, been pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times where you do take it home. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, there's some very heavy stuff that we deal with. Not only do we do a lot of the positive things, but we deal with a lot of the negative things. Pregnancy losses is probably the heart, one of the hardest things. Mm -hmm. Now, post babies, post infertility, post high-risk pregnancy, post two months hospital bed rest, six weeks in the NICU, I, I mean, I feel like I'm a totally different physician in that respect because now I understand. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I feel like it's made me a better physician in a lot of ways, but it also has made it a little bit harder for me to be in situations that I myself was in. And so there's many times where I'm uh, fighting back the emotion. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, mm -hmm. and, you know, so you have to find ways to manage it and handle it. Um, 
so that you can still remain objective in the situation, do the best care for your patient. But there's, you know, I feel like I do take it home a lot more than I used to uh, yeah. now that I've been in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to. And I feel like yeah. as a coach, we often partner with doctors to say, you can hand them off to us essentially mm-hmm. in those hard times of mm-hmm. loss or whatnot. So that, because yeah. it's such an awkward moment being a patient on that side too. Of yeah. I know you don't know what to say to me and it's an mm-hmm. awkward type of situation where I just want to get out of there and Mm -hmm. just a weird thing. So you kind of talked about your story a little bit. Can you dive into that? Because most of our audience is IVF fertility Mm -hmm. women, and I'd love them to just hear a little bit more on the inside of Mm -hmm. your story. To give them some hope. Yeah. So I, um, you know, was dedicated to my training for so long and I dated along the way, but never found anybody that I felt was my person. And just when I had decided, you know what, I'm 38, I just turned 38. I said, you know, I have a great career. I'm double board certified. I can do anything. I mean, I'm, uh, it's only, it's only downhill from here. Meaning I, I have a lot that I can still accomplish and if I don't get married, I don't. If I don't find that person, if I don't become a mom, that's fine too. Um, until I met my husband, he had just turned 38 as well. We kind of connected instantly, realized we wanted to be together and have a family. Um, knew about the age constraints as far as my age uh, and starting a family. So we married after a year and a half. So I was 39 and a half roughly when we married. Uh, very quickly had a miscarriage. Um, then I was diagnosed with melanoma. So that kind of put us oh, off a few months. Yeah, it ended up being okay. I, yeah, it was fine. But then I was 40 and a half. And we went straight to my friend who's a, excuse me, a fertility specialist. And he showed us the stats and my husband freaked out. And so we went straight to IVF. And unfortunately, after five cycles of IVF, where I was doing genetic testing on all the embryos, we got 16 embryos that were able to be genetically tested. And only one was chromosomally normal out of the 16. Mm -hmm. So that one was transferred that failed. Uh, After all that was done, we took a few months off. Um, We decided to try egg donor. Um, that went pretty quickly once we made that decision, actually. Uh, yeah. and we, we were able to get, yeah, so we got five donor embryos, uh, transferred to, and unfortunately that did not take. And I think out of everything, that was the hardest loss for me. And I do think that after an IVF transfer, even if you never had a positive pregnancy test, it's still a loss. And I, I mean, it was completely, utterly, de- I mean, it was devastating for me and it was devastating for my husband, not only because it was a loss for him too, but because of what I was going through. 100%. So we had almost decided to just stop, even though we had three embryos left, but we took a break, went was, to, go sorry, was, was mm-hmm. it more devastating because when you go to donor eggs, do you mm-hmm. kind of feel like this that's is going to be, that's going to be yeah. the cure all that's going to fix okay. everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we um, took a break, went to Peru and had a really nice trip, talked about it and came back and decided we were going to do one more transfer. And that was transferred that ended up with our twins. Um, unfortunately at around 21 and then change weeks, I ended up with a very, very short cervix with funneling and ended up on hospital bed rest for two months. Go figure. Uh, from, yeah, of course, uh, <laughs> from 22 to 30 weeks, came home for a week and then started abrupting and had babies at 31 weeks in one day. Oh, cool. uh, yeah. And they were in the NICU. My son was in for five weeks, my daughter in for six. And now they're perfectly fine four and a half year olds. And was that transferring two embryos? Yes. Okay. And, and this, the, the whole thing with transferring embryos to embryos, you know, most 
even since I had it done, that was back in 2016, it's becoming more and more strict with a single embryo transfer because of the complications. You know, I almost lost them. And having been on that side of it, I get why they advocate for a single embryo transfer. But from what I understand, having talked to multiple REIs is that people that have had multiple failed embryo transfers or above a certain age, those are more of the candidates to consider putting into. Um, but anyone that's going to consider, I just caution you, anyone's going to consider doing two and ending up with twins, especially at someone like my age, over 40, uh, there's a very real possibility that you're going to have a complicated pregnancy and maybe even a twin loss. And just have to keep that in mind when you're weighing the risk and the benefits of doing a double embryo transfer. Yeah. And I appreciate you mm-hmm. saying that because yeah. oftentimes we just think kind of like the egg donor, like yeah. I'm going to transfer to, yeah. and it's going to be great. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. not going to be any complications and whatever, yeah. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. especially with the cervix type of mm-hmm. stuff and I had placenta issues. I mean, it is serious. There's like, yeah. not want to mess around with it. Obviously you were on bed rest for so mm-hmm. long and just knowing that risk ahead of time, because I feel sometimes we're not fully educated yeah. to like the extreme measures yeah. that need to be yeah. taken. And it's so important to be educated in that. I feel. Yeah, I agree. You've invested so much emotionally and financially into the situation to know what, right. because it's like, oh, we'll transfer too. Mm-hmm. Like no big deal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It actually is a big deal. It is There's a lot of risks. And unfortunately mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes the, R- the REs don't really equate all those risks, right? Because all they're trying to do is get you pregnant. I, well, I, I, I agree and disagree a little bit. I think they're doing a much better job. You do because they do. I think the data is showing the success with the single embryo transfer is better, and they do know more about the complications of twin pregnancy. And I do think a lot of REIs are trying to do a very good job of counseling about that. I mean, um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I, of- we have the definitely have the data there on twin pregnancies, and and I I can attest to it myself. Um, but I can understand someone wanting to do two and thinking twins would be great. Um, but unfortunately, uh, some of the data has shown that uh, there are more complications, especially with IVF twins. So we have to consider that. Okay. And so that leads me to my next question, mm-hmm. IVF and, and mm-hmm. complications. Mm-hmm. What are some of those direct correlations between uh, IVF patients and over 35, so to speak? So for my, yeah. my experience, I had all my kids over 40, <clears throat> 41 to 44, my last one. Um, I had to do the whole, um, heart, what is it? Uh, scan for him. Um, mm. what's it called? EKG echo. Yeah. The echo. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And so they were saying it's because you're over 40 and I'm like, well, I was over 40 for my other kids. Why didn't mm-hmm, I do it that mm-hmm. way? And I didn't do it. I didn't have them IVF, but are there certain things like that? Because of course, learning down the road, a lot of people do do that <clears throat> with their babies. So, you know, I, I'm not going to speak on the potential complications uh, with IVF in general. Um, I think an REI is better to address that. But I can say that from an MFM perspective, when we have an IVF pregnancy, right. we do recommend a detailed anatomy scan because there is a slightly increased risk of certain types of birth defects with IVF pregnancies. We also recommend growth scans as well. I'm sorry. Because of the drugs or? I don't know. <clears throat> okay. I don't think that we know. Uh, I mean, cause you, there's a thought that it could be just the IVF process. It could be, is there an association with having them PGT tested? Is there an association with just having infertility to begin with and needing IVF? Is that what's putting them in it? You know, that's going to be really hard to tease out and a lot more data and a lot more patients are going to be needed to try to pinpoint a cause. 
But all we know is that there is an association with that and with growth abnormalities and things like that, especially in IVF twin pregnancies. So we do do a detailed ultrasound. We do do uh, follow them with growth scans when they're IVF pregnancies. So we are getting more and more data about the potential complications of IVF pregnancies. When you're talking about the, you know, other things with IVF, again, I'm not the best to answer those questions, but I can say, as like I said, as an MFM, those are the things that we look out for. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like that you guys are the ones who are seeing it 18, yeah. 22 weeks, right? So, yeah. you, you know. Yeah. And you have to think about also short cervix, uh, P-prom, things like that um, mm-hmm. is something, things to look out for. But all to be said, that may not happen for you if you do. Right. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Yeah. Not, to, not to be freaked out, but also to be educated on what right. potentially mm-hmm. be coming your way. Exactly. Um, is there any ever a point where you feel like it's important for a patient to advocate for themselves to see an MFM doctor versus a regular OB? <clears throat> I mean, I think, uh, yeah, of course. I mean, if you have, if you're high risk based on your age alone, if, and you're wanting to get more counseling about that, if you've had complicated pregnancies in the past, if you've had a history of pregnancy loss, if you have comorbid medical conditions like diabetes, hypertension, lupus, renal disease, anything like that, those are all reasons to see an MFM, not necessarily to transfer care. I think sometimes general OBGYNs are afraid we're going to poach patients. That's not our job. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm sure it does, but that's yeah. shouldn't be happening. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if someone needs a high risk consult, it should be readily available. Unfortunately, there's plenty of places across the nation that don't have access to MFM care just based on, geog- you know, geographic location. Mm-hmm. But I mean what can you do about that? There's no, I mean, I've been contacted by patients who don't have an MFM within a hundred or 200 miles right. just based on where they live. Um, but another thing that I, since you brought it up is uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the MFM preconception consult. Uh, what MFMs can do is do a preconception consult. And that's ideal for someone who's had pregnancy complications in the past. If they've had a history of preterm labor and delivery, if they have comorbid morbid medical conditions that may not be under control, if they have a history of pregnancy loss, you can go see an MFM even before you get pregnant to find out what you might need to address now in order to be in optimal health before you get pregnant or what, when you do get pregnant, what the plan of action might be. So, you know, there is such like? a thing. Is that an when, ultrasound and blood work? No, is that just, so well, so that it depends on what the, what the reason is, you know, you go see an MFM, they review your history, your pregnancy history, your medical history to see if there's anything they need to assess or evaluate um, before you even get pregnant. Uh, I've seen them many times where I'm like, listen, your diabetes is not under control. You need to get this better under better control. We need to switch up your medications. Maybe you have a seizure disorder. Mm-hmm. And you're on medications that may not be ideal for trying to conceive in pregnancy. So we might need to switch those up in order to get you on them and stable before you try to conceive. So there's multiple things that we can do as an MFM to help guide you in your, uh, before you even get pregnant. Um, so I, whenever I bring that up, people are like, what? I didn't know I could do that. Well, yeah, you can, you absolutely can. Uh, same thing can be said for an REI specialist, the fertility specialist, you can see them for a consult just to get an idea of where you stand on your fertility, where, you know, um, especially if you're a little bit older, how long should I try on my own before I see you formally? Um, you know, those types of consults, there's never, uh, it, it doesn't mean we're going to tell you something negative. It can only help. So, you know, we, they're highly underutilized in my opinion. I would love for a patient to come see me before they even try to try to get things in order um, before they even try to get pregnant. Um, so I, I'm always excited whenever I have a preconception consult. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I often tell my clients that have like autoimmune disorders, Mm -hmm. medications and stuff, really talk to 
MFM because they're going to be the ones who know how this is going to affect the baby. I think one of the things is that people are afraid they're going to be told you cannot get pregnant. Right. I don't think it's ever my job to tell anybody they can't get pregnant. There's only a handful. I'll probably count on my hand, one hand, certain conditions that are mainly cardiac related where I would say it is not in your best interest to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Everything else, if you get it under control and, and managed, and as long as you understand the risk and the benefits to you, if you have pre-existing medical condition and you get pregnant and you understand that, and then you still choose to get pregnant, that is perfectly within your right. So I don't think it's fair for any of us to say no to pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And like I said, unless there's a couple, there's a couple of things where we do recommend that, but overall your willingness to get your medical conditions under control before trying is ideal. And then we can help you through the rest. Yeah. And just finding mm-hmm. the right educated person to tell yeah. you what the risks are. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that means, mm-hmm. um, so thank you so much for all this amazing information. Tell us how you got started on doing the reels and TikTok and all that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I only started doing videos really about a year ago. I, I think what prompted everything was COVID to be honest with you, because my platform has actually changed. I am babies after 35 and it started obviously because of my medical training and my personal experiences with becoming a, a parent after age 35, but my account's kind of been hijacked by COVID, COVID education, which I don't regret at all. I've been a voice for people that are pregnant and lactating and trying to give them information, which is perfectly fine. But hopefully one day things will be back to normal and I can go back to my babies after 30, excuse me, 35 education. But I, I, I think that's really where it started with the videos and doing more education that way. Um, so apparently I'm pretty good at it because people like it. So for sure, you're yeah. very good at it. You don't you yeah, yeah. quit your day job, really. <laughs> but yeah. for anybody who's not following her, please follow mm-hmm. her on Instagram at babies after 35. There's so much great information and she's funny mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so fun to watch, honestly, and be Thank you. at the same time. So it's really good. Uh, Thank you. As Thank well you. as your website, babiesover35.com. Uh, babiesafter35.com. Yeah. And then I'm on TikTok at tiktokbaby.com. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again for your time and we mm-hmm. will see you in all those places. And thanks for doing mm-hmm. what you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pretty Little Tribe podcast. Follow up on Instagram at the Pretty Little Tribe or at Elizabeth King underscore coaching for updates, resources, and a community to connect with. If you are looking for extra support and tools to guide you along your TTC and parenting journey, visit ElizabethKing.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast everywhere you're listening for a chance to receive a special gift. Visit elizabethking.com backslash pretty little tribe podcast for more information on how to enter. Any review counts. I just appreciate your honest feedback so I can provide you with the best support possible in your TTC and parenthood journey. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.